Father God, thank you for your word and for teaching us through it, God. And I pray that today as we um, as we learn about this Eighth Commandment, that you would uh, press it into our hearts and that it would change the way that we live and the way that we view um, our possessions and what really belongs to you, God. So we ask for your spirit to be here, teach us, and um, and be here with us. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right. Handouts are right here if you need. Um, so we are on the, we're in a series on the Ten Commandments, and today we are on the eighth word. I'm going to go around and I'm going to ask Christine to read this uh, this verse from at the very top, Exodus 2015. You shall not steal. That's it. Thank you very much. So um, let me start off with uh, just an overview of the Ten Commandments. So the Ten Commandments. So the it's kind of broken up into uh, two categories. The first is how we relate to, and yes, is first four commandments are about how we re- relate to God. God. God, right? So, God. Guess what the ne- last six are? It's how we relate to others, others, each other. So, um, God and others. But um, I think if we've been paying attention to uh, what the Bible says, ultimately, what is it all about? It's about God, right? So these, the last six commandments, they are <coughs> how we relate to other people, but it's also about how we relate to God. So we'll see today how um, how this command, do not steal, is ultimately about our relationship with God. And uh, we'll see how, uh, just in the whole breadth of scripture, how it doesn't, it's not merely about you shouldn't take things from other people, but it's about how um, we'll talk about how Christ transforms our understanding of this eighth commandment. All right. So, just, uh, quick question: What is stealing? Uh, get what, give me your definition of what stealing is. Taking something that's not yours. Okay. Without their permission. Without their permission. Okay. Anything else? Any insight on stealing? I uh, my. My, uh, as far as I know, um, stealing hasn't been a thing for me, at, at least in terms of how it's, uh, how we, <laughs> the popular understanding of stealing. But my, uh, my first experience with theft was when I was at my cousin's house and he had like this little, um, uh, He-Man, uh, weapon. So I remember I, I was maybe like seven years old and I, I, I saw it and then I was at his house, I was playing and then I was, I just took it, I put it in my pocket. And then as I was, as we were playing, I, I felt so bad about it that um, I remember I was just jumping around and I would, I was eventually going to like, just like, I, I was jumping around so the, this weapon would fall out of my pocket because I felt so uh, ashamed and embarrassed. I didn't want to like actually put my hand in my pocket to put it out because otherwise someone might see me do it. So I just kept on jumping until the weapon f- fell out. And um, I think that all, maybe, this, I'm not sure about girls, but um, boys at least, a lot of us as young kids may, may steal, right? I don't know if it's not because we need to do it, but um, we want to. Some people say it's fun. Um, we call these people kleptomaniacs. But is stealing restricted to that? Can we just end the Sunday school lesson there and say, just don't take what's yours. Uh, let's see what else. How Even as adults, um, how do we steal? So what are some examples of theft that you guys know of?
I, I, I know I'm trying to save. I don't know. Illegally downloading songs. Illegally downloading music. Yes. That's Taking right. credit for something that you didn't do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Any other stealing ideas? Stealing ideas. Yep. Mm-hmm. Intellectual theft. Plagiarism. Plagiarism. Yep. Plagiarism. Maybe. Uh, what else? It's tax time soon. Mm. Cheating on your taxes, maybe underreporting your income. Ooh, being like super Asian and like, <laughs> you know, like, you know how Asian people be at like retail stores and like buy some, and just be like, oh, and then get returned and get the new one. It's not uh-huh. like Yeah. You know That's not just another. Hey, man. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, there's like, a myriad ways we steal. It could be downloading music, to, um, stealing people's ideas. It could be um, stealing identities. Stealing identities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could go to like the store, maybe like switch the the sticker, the price sticker on Ooh, one item, put on another. Um, oh, using some, <laughs> buying something from Costco, using it for like a weekend, and then returning it. Um, these are all ways that we steal, right? Uh, so, <laughs> so these are all ways of stealing, and uh, we'll see. Like this. The Bible does talk about stealing in these ways, but then there's also other ways of stealing, and we'll look at how that happens, all right? So, uh, just kind of really quickly, our first point, what does stealing do? Stealing, it undermines community. So, we talked about how the, the, the last six commandments are about our life in relationship to our community. So, when you steal something, you're breeding uh, mistrust in other people. You, they become suspicious. Have you guys ever, have you guys ever had um, uh, something stolen from you? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like my, the, the, I think the most, um, the thing that I always remember is, uh, I, I was in, I parked in San Francisco and then my car got broken into and like they took like all my camera gear and I was like, oh man, that stinks. And I remember feeling, uh, I, I remember feeling, um, cause I, I am generally a trustful person and, um, afterwards I would just see all these, I'm guessing it was like some <coughs> kid or homeless person. I parked, uh, in Soma, the, the bad part of Soma. And I remember thinking afterwards, like, oh, man, like, this person right here, this person right here. I was like, I, you can't trust these people anymore. Um, and in the same way, so what stealing does is it makes people distrustful or mistrustful and makes them suspicious of other people. Um, what it, 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 you, like, If you guys have ever been t- had, had, had something stolen from you, it's um, you feel like, did you feel like violated or offended? I remember, like, when, when I got, uh, when the stuff was stolen from me, I remember feeling like, I was so offended. I wasn't angry. I was so offended that that some someone stole something from me because, it, it, in some ways, it kind of, um, I felt, like, a little bit dehumanized because here's this person who just took my stuff. Like, they were so inconsiderate. It was really rude of them to, to steal from me. Um, but this is what stealing does. It undermines community and makes people it breaks trust between people so that's one way one thing that stealing does another thing is it attacks the character of god so everyone was created in the image of god and when you take from someone you're saying in some way you're you're violating this you're saying that um what belongs to you now belongs to me i'm taking it uh and your the the rights that you have to your property um it does. It, you don't have it anymore. I'm just going to take it, and 
as image bearers of God, we are violated. Um, where it's a bit dehumanizing. So this is another thing that stealing does. And uh, the third thing I have here is it reveals our discontent. So if we were to steal things, what does it say? It says that whatever I have right now, whether it be music or my grades or my money, it's not enough. So I see that there's another person or another organization that has what I want. I'm going to take it. And what does that do? It says, you're saying in your heart that what I have is not enough, that God has not provided for me enough. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take it. We're discontent with our, our, our lot in life. Okay? Questions, comments at this point? All right. Uh, our next point, the eighth commandment in context. So we, a lot of times we view the Ten Commandments simply as, here's a list of, list of rules that God has given us. This is how we're supposed to live. And we forget that, that, that God gave the Ten Commandments to us for a reason, and he gave it in a specific context, and he did it very intentionally. So if you remember the story of Exodus, at this point um, in Exodus 20, the, the Israelites, they've, they've left Egypt, their land of slavery. They have witnessed the miracles of God. God has, God has rescued them. God has put them on a journey toward the promised land. Okay, So we'll see how the promised land plays into this Eighth Commandment right here. Um, so the Ten Commandments were given to the Israelites while they're on the way to the promised land. And the land is an inheritance from the Lord. So they were taken from a place where they had no property. They had no rights as slaves. And God is saying, let me take you from this land of slavery and give you your own land where you're free. And whatever I'm going to give you in this land, is going to be more than you can imagine. And God is saying that this is my inheritance uh, TJ, can I have you read Deuteronomy 37 and 38, or chapter 4? The big one? The small one. Because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them, and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence, by his great power, driving out before you nations greater, than, greater and mightier than you, to bring you in, to give you their land for an inheritance. All right, thank you. So here's... Um, a recounting of what has happened to the Israelites. God has brought them out of Egypt and he drove out the nations that were, that should have crushed them. And God is saying, let me give you this land. This is going to be your inheritance. And if you think about what an inheritance is, it's uh, someone passing down what belongs to them to someone else. So if, let's say, for example, uh, some uncle died and he said, I have this $10 million. I'm going to give it to you. Or I'm going to give you my Kia, 87 Kia. Uh, this is my inheritance to you. It belongs to you. And God is saying that this, what I'm giving you, I'm going to give it to you so it's going to belong to you. And uh, we need to think about it in this context. And there's this long passage. I'm not going to read through the whole thing. But the gist of Deuteronomy chapter 8 is God saying, um, same thing. This is what I've done for you. Uh, so um, let me see. Uh, let, let, let me look at point to verse 17 in Deuteronomy 8. He says, but where, or let me read, uh, yeah, I'll just go from 17. But where, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have given me this wealth. Read that again. Behold, uh, beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. So God is warning the Israelites, don't think that what you have it belongs to you. Don't think that's 
the the cars that you have, the house that you have, that you in your own strength provided this for yourself. Verse 18, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day, as it is this day. Just a little more uh, detail on what belongs to the people. So God's saying, let me put you in this promised land. And the things that you have, you didn't earn it. I gave it to you. And if you say that, you know, you worked hard, who gave you that strength to work hard? And God is saying, whatever you have, it's because I gave you the, uh, the, the resources and the strength to do that. Allison, can I have you read Leviticus 25? And this talks about how um, once the people have the land that they have in Israel, um, that not only do they does it belong to them, but let's say that something happens. Let's say that you get into debt, or let's say that you've had a bad year and you weren't able to earn as much money as you could, or let's say that some, some horrible health uh, problem has fallen on your family and you're wiped out. God is saying... This still belongs to you, and this we see this in Leviticus 25. You shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the time of the seven weeks of years shall give you 49 years. And you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you when each of you shall return to his property, and each of you shall return to his clan. Thank you. Do you guys know what jubilee is? The year of Jubilee. Uh, is that the one where the land was divided, but then on the year of Jubilee, every, or like the debts, all debts are like... Yeah. Something. So the prescription for that God has, or the, what God has prescribed is, he's saying, uh, let's say, for example, you lose your your property. God's saying the year of Jubilee is when when everything goes back to the rightful owners. So if you don't have anything... Um, hold on, because on the 50th year, you're going to get back what belongs to you. So God is saying, this inheritance is always going to belong to you. There's not going to be uh, an indefinite period, amount of time where it's taken from you and it doesn't belong to you anymore. And what God is saying in these passages is he's saying, I'm giving you an inheritance. And this is why you don't have to steal, because what you need, I'm providing for you. I'm always going to provide for you. And this is a context in which we have to understand the Eighth Commandments. Hold on, I'm going to give to you what I've promised to you. You'll never be in want, you'll never be in lack. Uh, just understand that I am for you and I'm giving you these things. Okay? So I have this little note here. The promised land represents Israel's inheritance. It is their portion, everything they would ever want or need. So the Eighth Commandment has in mind the promised land. The promised land in which everything you want. This land flowing with milk and honey. This belongs to you. So why do you need to steal? This is what God is saying. Why do you need to steal? Because I'm giving you everything that you need. Okay? So, uh, questions or comments before we hit the principles of ownership and property? I think the, um, in the context of the ancient rules, the law of the Jubilee was also intended to prevent people from amassing huge estates over the course of uh, multiple generations. Mm-hmm. Jubilee, this, um, God instituted it so there would be justice in the land. And 
as we'll see later on, um, there is a big component of social justice when it comes to ownership and property and how God has designed things to be. So the Eighth Commandment, we'll see, thank you for that comment, Lee, uh, is, is, there is, um, it's about social justice as well, and we'll see how this comes about as we read through these verses. So principles of ownership and property. Um, Tim, since you have a sheet, um, our, our first point, everything belongs to God. Can you read Exodus 19 as well as Psalm 50, please? Now, therefore, if you indeed, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandment, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. Psalm 50. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. All right, thank you. So this is our first point, that everything belongs to God. So remember earlier, one of the, one of the things we said is, what does stealing do? Stealing, uh, it, it, it uh, attacks the character of God. So when you steal something, you're taking what belongs to God. If, if you were to steal, like, a pencil from work, you're not only stealing from, from work, you're saying that I'm stealing from God because this pencil belongs to God. All right, our second point um, who has a sheet? Let me have a grace. Can I have you read um, Genesis 2.15 as well as Psalm 8? And the principle here is it's man's privilege to steward what belongs to God. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Okay. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. All right. So everything belongs to God, but God has given <clears throat> to us these things so we would be stewards of it, so that we'd be responsible um, owners of these things. So here is what if we see in Genesis chapter 2, um, that this is the beginning of stewardship, right? God has created all these things. There's all these plants, and there's all these animals, and there's the earth. And God is telling Adam, this is before the fall, um, he's telling Adam, I'm giving this to you so that you'll be responsible, so that you'll, you'll, you'll work with your hands, you're going to be a steward of it. This, he's saying in effect, this belongs to you. And in doing so, God is bestowing a dignity among, uh, on, on Adam. He's saying, let me give you this dignity. And we, uh, again, in Psalm 8, Grace read, um, who is, ma- who is man that you'd be mindful of him? God has made us a little lower than angels. He's crowned us with glory and honor. And um, this is actually talking about Jesus, but he's. Uh, we can also think about um, how God gives us dignity. And he, um, he gives us dominion over the work of his hands. He, we've, he, we, all things are under our feet, which is hearkening back to this passage in Genesis 2. God has put all things under the feet of Adam. He's saying, you're responsible for this. You're an owner of this. This belongs to you. This is me giving you dignity. And God is saying, all these things that I own, it's yours. It's yours to to upkeep. It's yours to um, to to take. And it belongs to you. Even though it belongs to me, you're the uh, you're you're char- taking charge over it. Okay. Questions, comments. Can I have someone open the window over here? Okay. So this next point, uh, Hanson, can I have you read uh, Proverbs 
22 and 1 Corinthians 4, 7. The point here is that God distributes resources according to his wisdom. The rich and the poor be together. The Lord is the maker of them all. What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Thank you. So God distributes resources according to his wisdom. Um, do you guys ever... And this touches upon uh, another commandment, which we're going to cover, um, which is you shall not covet. Do you guys ever like look at other people and say, oh, I wish I had that? Mm-hmm. I remember um, when I was a kid, on Saturday afternoons, they would have a show called Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was this guy who would go to the homes of really rich people and would say, oh, here's this guy who owns four yachts. And they all fit in this swimming pool. And <laughs> and this swimming pool belongs to this home that has 17 rooms, each of which is like 900 square feet. And uh, it's, it's these like really ridiculous things. And I think what it did for a lot of people is it would, they, it would, they would think, oh, this is so cool. I wish I had this. Why don't I have this? Or I think the equivalent for maybe some of you guys is MTV Cribs. You guys remember this? Um, where these like rappers and rock stars and actors, they'd welcome MTV into their home and they would say, welcome to my crib, let me show you around. They, they show their like walk-in closet full of like 1900 shoes and um, all this clothes and they're, they're like, it's just the most grandiose properties. And people would see it and they go, I mean, just, I think what happens for a lot of people is they go, oh, I wish I had that. Um, and that that's an extreme example, but for us, it might be a little bit smaller, but still, there's this aspect of envy in our hearts where we say, oh, this person has um, such a nice home, I wish I had it, or uh, this this uh, organization, or this person has this job at this company, and I wish I had it. And what this does is it reveals our discontent. We're saying, God, you're not fair. Why did you give this person this stuff and not give it to me? Um, we see that here in the Western world, but why don't we look at others and say other countries and say, here's this person that lives off three dollars a week, and they're starving most of the time, and they're, they're, they're they have no medicine for when they get sick. Um, this is unfair, and we we think these things, and it may be either good that we are mindful of those that are in less fortunate positions, or it might be. Maybe uh, not so good if we're looking at people that have more than us. Um, but we need to remember that all these things God has put in their place. It's God's, and God in His wisdom is saying, all right, there are some people that live on this. There are other people that live with all this sort of stuff. We need to understand that it's not our uh, job to say that one thing belongs here and another thing belongs here. Um, we need to understand that God is wise, God is sovereign. Um, so for us in our situation, um, we'll talk about this a little bit more, but we'll talk about, uh, we'll focus on the poor and how this commandment relates to, um, to, to social justice and poverty. But God distributes resources according to his wisdom. Any questions, comments? All right. Next uh, next few verses, Clarence, can I have you read these three verses? Um, let me read the point first. We're obligated to give to those who are in need. Not doing so is stealing. Stealing is not only wrongful taking, but also wrongful keeping. Um, read these three verses, please. When a man robbed God, 
that you are robbing me, but you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? O Lord, who is like you, delivering from the poor to him who is too strong for him, the poor and needy from him who robs him? Woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees, and the writers who keep the writing oppression, who keep writing oppressions, who turn aside the needy from justice, and to rob the poor of my people from their, or of their land. Alright, so, I'm going to point out two things here. Um, stealing is not only wrongful taking, but it's wrongful keeping. And this is where the, where social justice plays into the Eighth Commandment. So, we have here Malachi 3, 8. Um, God is saying, you, my people, you're taking what is not yours. And we're asking, how, how is it that we're taking from God? I'm not, I'm not like proactively reaching out to God and saying, I'm just going to take this from you. But God is saying, this is how you're stealing from me. You have these these this uh, these financial resources, or maybe resources in agriculture, or for us, maybe we have our homes or our cars. And God is saying, if you don't give what belongs to me, this this uh, He says a tithe, which is ten percent. If you don't give at least ten percent of what you have to me, you're stealing from me. You're robbing from me. Because this all belongs to God. Remember, we, we uh, let's say, everything we have equals 100%. Um, God is saying, give, just give me 10%. This at a minimum. So we still get to keep 90%, which is pretty good, right? Uh, everything we have belongs to God. And God is saying, just give me 10%. This is a very minimum. And if you don't give this 10%, you're robbing me. It belongs to me. And we have this... When people don't give, we think that they're stingy, right? Um, but really what we're, what God's saying is, you're not just stingy, you're a thief if you don't give to me. Okay? So questions, comments? I know that this might sound a little harsh because basically God is demanding that you give at least 10% of your income. Um, but, Harry. I, the New Testament, how does that, um, how does that, that like continued on to the yeah so the question is uh what happens in the New Testament is do we give ten percent and actually uh, and we don't have time to go into all this but just in a nutshell the, the in the New Testament ten percent is the absolute minimum and actually and I don't know that many of us do this um, but in the New Testament we we're supposed to give until it hurts us to some extent. So a lot of us can give 10% of our income and we're like, ah, I can still live the kind of life that I want to live. But the New Testament standard is saying, um, you need to give until you're uncomfortable with it. You need to give until it hurts you. Um, this is a New Testament standard. and it's, which is Some people go, oh, we, we live in, in the New Covenant. This is an age of grace. It's okay if we don't give this much. Um, and actually what the New Testament says is, no, if you, if you don't give until you're uncomfortable, then you're not really giving what belongs to God. Okay? There's a... Yeah, I can put it on the Facebook thing. Um, there's uh, there's some books that you guys can read. There, one of them is called... Um, it's by Randy Alcorn. One of them is called The Treasure Principle. Um, it's a short book. You can read it in like two, in an hour or two. Um, another is called Money, Possessions, and Eternity by Randy Alcorn. It talks about this sort of stuff. And also, uh, I think... T- some of you guys are reading through Tim Keller's Generous Justice. Yeah. Does he talk about this here? Yeah, there's a lot of this, actually. I'll just recommend that. Yeah. So, um, let's 
let's look at uh, what these other verses say that will uh, help us understand this a little bit more. O Lord, who is like you, delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him, the poor and needy who rob from him. So we look at um, those who are less fortunate than us, whether they be here in the Bay Area or around the world. And God is saying, there are those who are in need, and you may not even know who these people are, but if you don't give to them, you're robbing from them. Because this, what your resources belong to them as well. Um, we see that the same thing here in Isaiah 10. The poor, if you don't give to them, you're robbing them. And you say, I'm not robbing them because I don't even know them. I'm not taking anything from them. But God is saying, you're forgetting the principle that everything you have belongs to me anyways. So if you don't give, you're robbing from these people. Okay? Questions, comments? Um, so, um, there is a very positive aspect to this. So it's not just that God's telling us, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, but there is, um, a positive aspect. So we go back to the, uh, the context that we spoke about earlier, which is that the eighth commandment was given to these Israelites in a specific context. God is bringing them out of the slavery into a, a land of milk and honey and plenty, the promised land. And um, he talks about this land is your inheritance. Uh, Joe Malin, can I have you read um, Numbers 18 and Psalm 16, please? You shall have no inheritance in their land, neither shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel. All right. And uh, Psalm 16 as well. Psalm 16. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Thank you. Uh, let's go back to some Old Testament history. So, um, did the have the have the Israelites have they ever had a permanent home? No. The the Israelites they they were driven out. They've had. I mean, this is the God's chosen people. They have uh, always been. I mean, uh, to put it kind of. Uh, in one way, like they, they've always been screwed over uh, because they're never able to be in a place of peace. They're not able to enjoy what they have. And God is saying, uh, you don't have the inheritance, um, not yet, that I promised you. And God is saying, even though you don't have this inheritance, let me tell you what's even better. He says that I'm your inheritance, right? I'm your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel. So God is saying, Really, this this rest and everything that you want, it's actually me that you want. It's not material things, but it's ultimately God. Um, and we see, I mean, this, Psalm 16 is just one example, but then we see these psalmists, that they're saying, God, everything is taken away from me. I have nothing, but I have you, and that's enough. Um, the Lord is my chosen portion, my cup. Um, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. And think about the things that we want. We think, I want this thing because it's going to provide me some type of pleasure. It's going to provide me some joy. It's going to uh, make me happy. And then the the uh, story goes, um, people get the things that they want. And over and over and over, they're let down. 
and they're disappointed. And C.S. Lewis has this great quote. He says that the history of, I'm paraphrasing, but then he, something along the lines of this, the, hi, the history of man uh, is him, I'm forgetting this, I'm sorry, uh, History is a long story of man trying to find something to make him happy, um, something other than God to make him happy. Uh, and it could be anything. It could be other people. It could be money. It could be careers, family, whatever. And this is what everyone is doing. Everyone is doing something to make them happy, right? And over and over and over again, they're disappointed. There's only one person that will give us what we've been searching for. And it's here in Psalm 16, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. There's fullness of joy in God. God is our inheritance. God is our portion. God is what we really want. So if we were to steal, we're saying, no, God, you're not my portion. At your right hand are not pleasures forevermore. This is why I'm stealing. Okay. Uh, and then here comes Jesus, and he is the one that ties everything together for us. Jesus leads us to the true and promised land. Harry, can I have you read Hebrews 4, 9, and John 14, 2 through 3? Uh, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Thank you. The promised land was was given to the people of God, and if we uh, look at the history of, or if we look at biblical history, um, the Israelites, the church is now Israel. What God has promised to Israel, God is promising to the church, and God is saying, there is a promised land for you, there is a land of rest. It talks about this here in Hebrews 4, um, I encourage you guys to read through Hebrews 4 if you have time, but it talks about what Jesus has bought for us. And then Jesus in John 14, he talks about this place that he's preparing for us. This is where we're headed. And um, he says there's many rooms. And Tim, speak loud so this will pick you up. Um, I wanted to make a comment about uh, the context in which this commandment is rising up. That um, it's, it's rising up from the Lord God just having It's, it's, 
I think it's worthwhile to note that this is coming from a context in which you have no property, right? You were slaves in Egypt, and now I'm giving you, now I've conquested the promised land for you, and I'm giving you property. And I think that it's worthwhile to note that because it gives us the proper context for understanding right. that we too are like the nation of Israel being given this commandment that we've just been free from slavery and we're not yet in the promised land. Mm-hmm. That this timing was on purpose. And yeah. It means something for yeah. Us now. Yeah. Thank you for tying that together for us. So, um, uh, I, I believe we talked about that a little bit here earlier. But yeah, um, we are uh, we are the church. Christians are Israel. Um, we are, uh, and the promise is made to us as well. So, we do have a promised land coming, and there is a time coming when we will see ultimately what um, God has been leading us toward and uh, so well, I guess the context that I wanted to establish the main point was that we, we are coming from the same context that the nation of Israel is coming from right that we have nothing right that's the proper stance of correct God. correct okay thanks uh, so you guys get that so we have nothing and we have something now because of um, what, what Christ has bought for us. Um, so, uh, any other comments, questions? All right, let's finish this up. So, how does uh, how does the gospel play into this story or this this command? The gospel frees us from the desire to steal. Amanda, can I have you read um, the first two verses, First Corinthians and Hebrews ten? If in Christ we have hope in this life only. We are of all people most to be pitied. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reapproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding, and an abiding one. Thank you. Uh, this the first um, first Corinthians passage is talking about the resurrection and, and Paul saying uh, I can believe all these things and um, but if if the resurrection is not true then I'm completely wasting my time Paul says here um, if this if the resurrection hasn't happened then you Christians are the dumbest people on earth because you're wasting all your time praying to this this uh, savior that is still dead. Um, you're, you're wasting all your money supporting the church and missions and charity. What you should be doing is you should be enjoying what you have here on this earth if the resurrection didn't happen. But the, the Christians in the early church, they didn't view it that way. And we have this passage from Hebrews 10 where the writer is telling these believers, they're saying, you guys took on the attitude that this world that you didn't belong in this world, that nothing you had in your hands really belonged to you. And this is why it says here, these people, even though they had stuff stolen from them, even though they were persecuted, um, it says here, such a weird phrase, uh, they joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. If you guys have ever had something stolen from you, you're you're not joyful, are you? Uh, When someone broke into my car, I was not there's not one ounce of joy in me. 
But these Christians, because they understood that what they had on this earth was so temporary, it really didn't belong to them, that's why they can joyfully, joyfully accept the plundering of their property. Because, because you knew that you had a better possession and an abiding one. Whatever we have, the nicest stuff that we have, it may bring us some happiness, it may bring us some pleasure, and that's not wrong because the scriptures say every good and perfect gift comes from God for your enjoyments. But what if those things were taken from you? Would you still be joyful? Because if if you're if you're completely crushed, if someone were to rob you of all you had, or if a fire burned up your entire house, it would mean that you put all your hope, all your your joy in these things um, that's why you become greedy sometimes, that's sometimes why you hoard, that's sometimes why you, you you keep instead of give but if you have your treasure somewhere else, you can be like these Hebrews uh, the, 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 the group that this writer of Hebrews is talking to since you knew yourselves that you had a better possession and an abiding one questions, comments, before we close up Okay, I'm going to have Dumb read the last two passages here from Ephesians and 2 Corinthians. <clears throat> let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. All right, stop right there. Hold up. So <laughs> Ephesians 4, notice that because Paul is writing to the Ephesians, he's saying the person who's been stealing, um, let him no longer steal. And he says, he makes this, he jumps to something else. He says, no longer steal, but... Work honestly so that you may have something to share with anyone in need. There's no middle ground here. If you're going to if you're going to work, the money has to leave your hands and it has to go to the person who's in need. This goes back to our point where we said that stealing is not only wrongful taking but wrongful keeping. A thief is no longer a thief when he gives away what he has. You guys get that? There's no middle ground here in Ephesians 4. Let the thief no longer steal, but do honest work so that he can give. So the reason why we work is so that we can give. You guys get that? This is the New Testament principle. Um, so not only 10%, but uh, it should be more than that. Okay? And Second uh, Corinthians. <clears throat> for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Thank you. So this is how the gospel frees us from the desire to steal. Everything belongs to us. The whole world belongs to us. This is bought by the blood of Christ. So, uh, because Christ became poor, we're all rich. We're all rich. Um, everything that we have, God is giving to us. God is sufficient. He is our portion. The resources that he gives us, God is saying, that's enough. And if that's not enough, then let me be enough for you. This is why we don't need to steal anymore. Questions, comments as we close up? Uh, I think sometimes like we, we think, um, you know, I see this thing about tithing like as a hard, fast rule. Like, okay, what is the percentage, right? But I think uh, the idea is that we're just to be generous with what we have. And so kind of that Ephesians passage was, was, was really good where... Um, we just, uh, um, you know, sometimes sometimes there are some people that are really wealthy, but and then they it seems like they give a lot, like uh, because of whatever you know the percentage and whatever. But um, you know that they're stingy, right? You know that they're kind of frugal, and um, and that always has always rubbed me the wrong way. 
uh, the idea is that okay, we, whatever we have, like we're just to have a generous heart. It's not a hard fast rule of ten percent, but what can I give? How can I love people? How can I love the church and just pour into the church and other people, right? And just uh, just be content with uh, what we have and be free to love others with what we have, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think when you have that heart, then it's no longer a matter of percentage, but it's just like you can just pour out. Onto yeah, people. yeah. We need to take on this attitude of. That not, really nothing belongs to us. Um, and if you understand that, then it makes it so much easier to give. And this is something that I struggle with. I am not a generous person. Um, and after dating Christine, Christine's a very generous person. And um, after after uh, being with her for so long, she's she like just seeing the contrast, I'm like, oh, I'm not a generous person. And I know that this is something that I need to work on because in many ways I'm stealing because I'm not giving what I should be giving, which is sacrificially. And uh, you got 30 seconds before we close in prayer. I think that um, people attitude to approach this in a lot of other things is that this is a really important thing. But I think that um, it's actually, in a way, very light and very easy to <coughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we become channels for God. Basically, We're, we 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 God gives into our hands, and we have an open hand. It, it should just be we should be like a straw, <laughs> like a funnel or something. Thanks. So um, that's it. Let me close us in prayer, okay? God, thank you so much for giving to us so much more than we deserve because we deserve nothing but your judgment and wrath. But you give us grace. You give us love. And we're so grateful for that, God. So will you free us from the desire to need and the desire to steal and the the desire to have what doesn't belong to us. But let us remember that you are our portion. You're more than enough for us, God. So impress us in our hearts. And we ask that you would continue to be with us as we um, worship together in the next room, in the next few minutes, God. And uh, we glorify you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.